This is John Beasley, and you're listening to Your Morning Coffee, the podcast with Jay Gilbert and Michael Etchart. Weekly music news for the new music biz. From Billboard, the 10 biggest music business stories and trends of 2022. Also from Billboard, playlists don't hit like they used to. Ooh, another one from Billboard, the changing world of record labels, physical retail. And yes, yet another one from Billboard, five ways 2022 pushed music royalties forward. We're not really on the on the payroll of Billboard, although maybe we shall be after this. Who knows? <laughs> Who knows? Well, it is kind of our holiday edition. We are so happy you are here. So what do you say we get rolling right about now? Stand by for transmission. This is London calling. Wake up! The revolution is at hand! Your morning coffee is on the air. Your morning coffee, the weekly music news for the new music business. It's the highly curated, agitated, advocated, moderated, and liberated digital music information that you need to know. We are your digital music authority. Now, from our studios in Hollywood, California, here's your hosts, Jay Gilbert and Mike Etchart. Jay Gilbert, so good to see you, brother, on uh, good to a see Sunday, you. on a Sunday. We've both been traveling, and uh, yeah. you've got your Barry White voice on, baby. Yeah, a little bit under the weather. I've been doing a lot of travel lately, but uh, this too shall pass. I feel fine. I just sound like Barry White. Barry White. By the way, how about that intro from the fantastic John Beasley, his uh, latest album, which is a holiday album called Holidays. is a swing in tune man he is such a great piano player and just some hip changes in there and hip substitutions of chords and beautiful yeah. beautiful playing fantastic you know i grew up on and i know you did too on vince garaldi oh, you know doing that course. peanuts christmas so to me i didn't know what jazz was when i was you know six years old listening to that i just thought it was great music and so now when i hear this album it's it reminds me of that it brings Absolutely. me right back to that vince garaldi that cool just just cool is like the best way to say it. And John Beasley is a Grammy Award winner and a nine-time nominee. He's an Emmy winner, Latin Grammy nominee. You know, he's uh, he's world class, and I, I consider him and uh, his uh, 
manager uh, friends, and I really appreciate them. Uh, you know, helping us out with that intro. Well, you know, it's interesting. I looked it up. You know, typically when we talk about jazz tunes, you know, you, you hear the phrase standards. And those are typically songs that were kind of written in the in the golden age of songwriting, kind of maybe say the 20s through the, so let's go 60s. Uh, Green Sleeves, that song that we heard, uh, first was registered in the late 1500s. So what? When you talk about a standard, that is going back. Yeah, 1500s. Wow. And was associ- kind of associated with Christmas uh, starting starting then and into the early 1600s, and it's been around forever and ever <laughs> and ever. And, wow! Uh, yeah, so it's uh, it was I was I knew it was an old song, and I looked it up to see how old it was, and I was stunned to read that. That's wow, crazy. Yeah, it reminds me of that old joke. You know, I, I like his early stuff before he went electric and sold out. Well, <laughs> this is the early stuff, the really early stuff. Yeah, so it was uh, nice to hear that playing though, and, and and actually, John, actually, if I'm not mistaken. And he played in Sergio Mendez's band for a bit as well, who I saw this last yeah. summer. And if you can hang in that group and, and man, he's, oh, he's, he's got a with super, legends. yeah, he's got a great resume. So, uh, yeah. really, really exciting. And and now, and you, of course you were the busiest guy in the world. So what is going on behind the set list? Cause I know you've had a couple of interesting interviews as of late. Oh yeah. Thanks for bringing that up. Um, last week we interviewed, uh, an old friend, um, and someone who I absolutely think is fantastic, and that is Kim File from Soundgarden. Now, of course, um, Chris Cornell sadly passed away, and there isn't uh, a touring Soundgarden right now, um, unless you count Brandy Carlisle, but that's a whole other thing, and we can get into that another, another day. But uh, it was so interesting talking with Kim about the set list and how it was constructed and some stories behind it. And, uh, it was a really good, uh, conversation. I've known, uh, Kim for decades and, uh, have a lot of respect for him and, uh, and of course Soundgarden. And then this coming week we're recording Chris Isaac. He has an album out called everybody knows it's Christmas and he's doing these Christmas shows and they're, they're absolutely wonderful. I wish I could catch one, uh, this time around, but if you like Christmas music and who doesn't, um, check out Chris Isaac, everybody knows it's Christmas and, uh, we'll be recording a conversation with him about that, um, this week. Well, and as you just told me, Kim's, I've been mispronouncing Kim's name forever <laughs> and ever and ever and ever. It's not Kim Thayil, it's Kim Thayil. Well, it looks like fail because yes. it's T-H-A-Y-I-L, fail, but it's actually pronounced thyle. Oh, my goodness. And I, that first album was on SST <laughs> when I was there, and I was probably mispronouncing it since 1988. So there you have it. There you have it. You know, and Jay, as we enter the holiday season, we, uh, of course, thank, thank for our, be thankful for our blessings. And we've got some fantastic sponsors that help us put the yeah, show on sure all year long. And boy, we are so yeah. thankful. Uh, the Your Morning Coffee podcast is brought to you by our groovy, groovy friends over at Banzoogle, built by musicians for musicians. Banzoogle is an all-in-one platform that makes it easy to build a beautiful website and EPK for your music. All the features you need for a professional website are already built in. Hosting and a custom domain name, dozens of fully customizable design templates, tools to sell your music and merch commission-free, commission-free crowdfunding and fan subscription features, mailing list tools to grow your fan list and send newsletters, social media integrations, and live support from their musician-friendly team seven days a week. Your Morning Coffee podcast listeners can jump over to bandzoogle.com, try it for free for 30 days. Just use the promo code Morning Coffee, all one word, to get 15% off 
the first year of any subscription. That's Banzoogle.com, promo code MORNINGCOFFEE. Yeah, and you mentioned live support from their musician-friendly team. You know, that's not just a tagline. These guys over there, they're all in bands, um, most of them, I should say. And um, sometimes you can't get a hold of the guy that you want because he's out on the road and it's somebody else. But they're super friendly, super great customer support, and they understand if you're a musician, a manager, you know, a label distributor, no one's going to understand your website better than these guys. I promise you that. Um, the Your Morning Coffee podcast is also brought to you by Hypot. Uh, since 2004, Hypot has chronicled the new music business and the trends and technologies that are changing how music is discovered, consumed, marketed, and monetized. Edited daily by founder Bruce Houghton with help from Alana Bonilla. Hypot and sister blog Music Think Tank are published by live music discovery and marketing platform Bands in Town. You betcha. Bands in Town, over 74 million live music fans trust Bands in Town to get personalized concert alerts, recommendations, and messages from their favorite artists. It is the number one artist service platform connecting over 560,000 artists with their superfans. Managers, labels, agencies, and artists access their own dashboard to manage and promote their tour dates across all platforms. Yeah, and, and finally, let's thank Music Business Association You know, for more than six decades. The Music Biz Conference has been the point of origin for inspiration and collaboration in the music business. Join us in Nashville May 15 through 18. Um, we'll certainly uh, see you there. One other thing I wanted to mention, Mike, is that my, my voice is also a little bit shot because um, I went to Minneapolis <laughs> on Friday and came back late last night, so it was a very yes, quick did. trip, but... I, we ended up seeing what uh, is now the biggest comeback in NFL history. And this is over, well, my friend that I went to, Jason Cleave, you know, has a degree in statistical analysis and he kind of speaks like that. And he immediately said, well, there's been 14,480 games in the NFL over 102 seasons. And this is the first time that someone has come back, a team has come back from being 33 points down. And this happened to be the Vikings uh, thousandth game. Oh my goodness. And it was just, uh, I mean, we were screaming our heads off that last second half. It was so much fun. Oh my goodness. What a game to catch. If you're going to go to, if you're going to catch a cold and go to, go to Minneapolis, that was all worth yeah. it to see that game in the flesh. That must've been a blast. Yeah. And have we, you ever and been we, to Minneapolis? I have. I love Minneapolis. Not so much in the winter. It's wintertime, so beautiful there. Yeah. The autumns there with the leaves changing are spectacular. And, you know, as I told you, as we were, uh, you know, starting this morning, we were driving to his house um, from the airport and we had to kind of stop and let the deer go uh, sure. ahead of us. And that was, that was pretty cool. The other thing I wanted to mention really quick before we dive in is um, I got a chance to see one of the most phenomenal shows I've ever seen, honestly. Um, this last week at the Hotel Cafe, I saw uh, Ben Barnes. Mm-hmm. Now, a lot of people know Ben Barnes as the actor, Narnia, Shadow and Bone, but he's cut from the same cloth as um, Harry Connick, you know, or Michael Bublé. It's almost that pop jazz, but also with a lot of soul in it. Mm-hmm. In fact, he did a bunch of covers um, uh, mixed in with his songs. Um, just classic soul stuff. And he had Hunter Elizabeth up there. He had some musicians from Scary Pockets. I don't know if you've ever heard of oh, Scary Pockets. Yes, absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Great I mean, players. for those who haven't heard Scary Pockets, go on to your DSP of choice or check out YouTube and, and just Google Scary Pockets. It's an LA collective of just world-class musicians, 
singers, songwriters, and Ben's put out some things. Hunter Elizabeth has put out some things there. Uh, the drummer from this band was from Scary Pockets, and he was ridiculous. I mean, everybody in that band. Oh, it's crazy. And uh, I knew it was going to be good, but it was Ben Barnes' first live performance ever. And people, well, of course, you know, he's used to being in the limelight. You know, he's a star, you know, on television, you know, so he knows how to command an audience. But uh, not every actor is a good musician, you know, for, for every Barbara Streisand, there's like a thousand people who couldn't make that work. And Ben certainly did that. So I just wanted to tell you that that show was absolutely phenomenal. Oh, that's so fun. Isn't it fun to just catch those? But that scary pockets are unbelievable. And YouTube is the best place to go and check out. And just when you think, and it's, it's such an interesting collection of people, you know, you'll see one group. And I think the keyboard player is kind of the main guy. I can't remember, but I think so. And, but you'll see like them do a song and it's like, how can that get any better? Then you'll see another clip of a completely different band, except maybe one person's the same. Again, you're like, oh my God, these right. people are just monster players. Monster players. Yeah. Really. And you'll fall into that rabbit hole. Oh. Right? You'll start watching a couple of yes. them and um, uh, just the talent there. Anyway, scary pockets. So before we dive into our stories, and we have some great stories today, I just wanted to touch base on TikTok only because it's it's heating up. Um, there was a story in uh, Rolling Stone, and the headline mm-hmm. was "Lawmakers Introduce a Bill to Ban TikTok in America." That's pretty heavy, um, and I just wanted to touch on that, and then kind of counter that by this other story in Billboard about how TikTok is launching careers, um, and there's some executives saying how that's happening. But first, let's let's talk about that Rolling Stone piece. Uh, Senator Mark Rubio, you know, from Florida, and re- representatives Mike Gallagher from Wisconsin, and, and others have introduced legislation aimed at banning social media company TikTok from the United States. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And, and this, this, of course, is not the um, the first go around with this. This happened under the Trump administration and uh, didn't really there was a lot of hoo-ha about it, but then it kind of went away. But here we are coming back to it. Um, they're talking about uh, it's, it's kind of a, a mouthful. Uh, Rubio's proposed legislation introduced in the Senate t- uh, titled the and so and this is in quotation marks now. Here we go. Averting the national threat of Internet surveillance, oppressive censorship and influence and algorithmic learning by the Chinese Communist Party Act. <laughs> or that just rolls right off the tongue. Yes, it does. It? Yes, it does. Or anti-social CCP Act would prohibit all transactions from any social media company located in or under the influence of China, Russia, Iran, North Korea, Cuba, and Venezuela. So, uh, yeah, that's, uh, and it calls on the U.S. president to exercise powers under the International Emergency Economic Powers Act to block and prohibit all transactions in all property and interests in property in the U.S. or any social, of any social media company that is based in China or one of the other countries deemed hostile to yeah, American so, interests. Yeah, we'll follow this um, closely. Um, not sure. I mean, the last time I think it was overturned. Well, not overturned. It just wasn't signed into law. And the last thing I'll say on this really quickly is that last week, Texas Governor Greg Abbott banned employees of the state's government from using mm-hmm. TikTok on their work phones. Yeah. You know, yeah. he said that TikTok harvests vast amounts of data from its users, including when, where, and how they conduct internet activity, you know, and offers this trove of potentially sensitive information to the Chinese government. So 
we'll be watching this pretty carefully, but it was, uh, it seems like it's heating up again. Again, you know, the headline was lawmakers introduced bill to ban TikTok in America. Right. One of the funniest lines to come out of that, or not funny, but sort of interesting, is that, that Representative Gallagher, he called TikTok, in quotation marks, digital fentanyl that's addicting Americans. Uh, that's yeah. not hyperbole. Not is at it? all. No, sir. It is no, okay. not. Okay. It is not. Just so you all know. Right. That's right. But well, let's is. counter that, you know, on the other side with uh, a piece by Kristen Robinson from Billboard. And the headline is TikTok is launching careers for tomorrow's music executives. Yes, um, the pandemic spurred many young business hopefuls to join TikTok. Now they're some of the industry's most sought after talents. And this is interesting because we hear both sides of this story, how some of the A&R people are talking about how they avoid some of these quote unquote one hit wonders. Some of these people have never toured. They haven't even finished uh, one song or multiple songs, but there have been some success stories and they definitely go into some of these. But for many of TikTok's most successful music curators, the pandemic acted as a catalyst for getting on the app and sharing recommendations of new songs. And now about two years later, the videos they made uh, in their childhood bedrooms are responsible for launching successful careers in the music industry. Plenty of headlines have espoused the merits of TikTok's, you know, way to promote new artists and songs, but less has been said about the new class of music executives. There's the key, the mm-hmm. music executives beginning to break on the app too, circumventing the notoriously exclusive path into industry usually required. I thought that was really interesting. Very interesting, yeah. And again, these are not people that are doing dances or anything like that. It's a lot of music curation. And and as you said, this was really, you know, when a lot of people moved home during the pandemic or back to parents' homes or just had a lot of time on their hands. And, you know, it's it, it's not surprising, I suppose, when you, you know, certainly the rise of TikTok got massive during the pandemic, but also you can, you can certainly easy see, easily see how a lot of people really, not necessarily do, doing it with any high ambition, but just to kill time. And then suddenly you find yourselves with Nothing lots of followers, a couple hundred thousand followers. And next thing you know, you are looking pretty good and you are in business and you've got a, you've got a soapbox to stand on and talk about what you're into. Yeah. Yeah, they talk about somebody I actually know who I've spoken to, and that's uh, Carla Turi. Mm-hmm. Um, they say that millennial and older Gen Z let Carla Turi of Carla's Infinite Playlist built her following by sharing her thoughtful playlist. There's some really great playlists. Um, she's put some of my artists on there, like the Accidentals. Um, indie rock, folk, and acoustic songs to an audience of mostly women and LGBTQ uh, viewers. So... Ari Elkins went from every man by suggesting tracks to fit relatable situations rather than genres like driving in the car with the windows down. So it's interesting, you know, they're kind of bypassing this usual path to um, getting jobs in the industry Mm -hmm. and becoming tastemakers. Absolutely. Uh, William uh, Gruger, I guess, pronunciation of his yeah. name, he's the global music programs over there at TikTok, said these kinds of music cur- uh, curators are already this generation's new media personalities, pointing out the similarities in cultural taste making between these creators on TikTok and VJs at the height of MTV's reign. I like that. Yeah. That's a good uh, comparison, I think. So a couple of uh, interesting things on uh, TikTok. We don't have to go too deep into it. We have so much to cover today. But I thought that was super interesting, you know, that these lawmakers are introducing this bill to ban TikTok. And then, you know, uh, 
these people are saying that TikTok is actually launching not only the careers of musicians, but tomorrow's music executives. I thought that was super interesting. And speaking of music executives or former music executives, the guy that I get to hang out with every day, whether he's impersonating Barry White or not, is none other than my brother, Jay Gilbert. He's a music industry (laughs) consultant. He's the curator of the weekly Your Morning Coffee newsletter and a former executive with Universal Music, Sony Music, Warner Music Groups, and Fox Home Entertainment, and a happy camper having seen that Vikings game this weekend. Yeah, that was a good day, you know. And uh, this gentleman across from me um, that you can't see, but I can, uh, one of my favorite people on the planet is longtime, well, it's Mike Etchart, longtime host of Sound and Vision Radio, formerly of SST Records, Warner Music, Capital EMI, and Universal Music Groups. Yes, indeedio. And uh, it's it's Boy, fun. we have some, so many things to cover today. We do, um, we do indeed. This, these year-end things, I don't know if you noticed in your morning coffee, but I've begun p- compiling all of these best of lists because there's oh, yeah. so many of them. And there's always things to discover. And a lot of these best of, it might be the best uh, 50 hip hop songs or the best tracks that came out. And it could be Pitchfork or Wall Street Journal or whoever. Um, a lot of them have playlists that you can check out. And it's a great way to discover new music if, if you've missed some of it. But it's one of my favorite times of year is compiling those lists, uh, those best of lists, and then kind of digging in there and seeing what people think is uh, you know, the best of the year. Well, absolutely. And and what a year it's been. You know, it, it's been so many interesting things in the news. And uh, we, as you said, we're going to get going on that right now. Excuse me. Uh, let's start with, again, the, all of our stories today are from Billboard, which is interesting. I don't think that's happened before. Never uh, happened before. Never happened before, no. So our first story is the 10 biggest music business stories and trends of 2022. Uh, we're talking TikTok, as we already have. Uh, Taylor, yeah. Web3, so many more things to talk about. But boy, it has been a crazy busy year, without a doubt. Well, let me ask you, Mike, because when I was reading through this, um, I would come through maybe, I don't know, two or three of them. And then I would see something and go, wow, I had totally yes. forgot about that because there was so much that happened in the last year. And then the other thing I was talking to my friend Jason about is we have a warped sense of time now because of the pandemic. Yeah. Um, some of these things that maybe seem like they just happened, happened maybe a few years ago and vice versa. So I think it's really important for us to look at these stories and, and kind of get that reminder of what's happened in the last year. And this was written by uh, Dan Rice mm-hmm. uh, over at uh, Billboard. And I'll just kick it off, you know, because he talks about some of the different things um, that, you know, from 2022, looking back on it. And he says, as 2022 comes to a close, the music business can look back on another hectic year. Boy, that's an understatement. A turnover at the top levels of several big companies, which we'll dig into in a second, record breaking successes in several sectors of the industry. Some major headlines coming from some unexpected places, you know, all of which captured the attention of the music business over the past 12 months. So here are 10 big stories and trends that helped define 2022. Yes, indeed. Uh, how about that executive turntable, Jay? Uh, boy, there's been yeah. a lot of changes at the top. Uh, the biggest story, of course, is the top, the change over there at the Warner Music Group. Stephen Cooper is exiting after a heck of a good, successful 11-year run. 
that saw yeah. the major double its revenue and burst and boost its market share while taking the company public once again. Uh, he will be replaced by YouTube's Robert. I'm, I'm hopefully pronouncing this correct. Kinsel. Uh, do you know one way or the other, Robert? If I mispronounce it, I am so sorry. Uh, a move that is widely seen as a nod toward the tech-based present and future of the music biz, particularly at WMG. So yeah. that's kind of and, and there were some other ones, and we don't have to go into every single one, but you know, like Def Jam, there were changes, Capital, there was change in, mm-hmm. you know, John Esposito, who we lovingly refer to as Espo, you know, he's moving into a chairman role, and uh, my buddy uh, Ben Klein is uh, teaming up with Chris Lacey to kind of um, replace him. Um, the next one, which we've talked about quite a bit because it's evolving and changing, and that's the Ticketmaster Taylor Swift meltdown, mm, right? Yes. Uh, you know, cross Taylor Swift and her fans at your peril. You know, the biggest artist in the world whose latest album, Midnight's, easily cleared the biggest streaming week globally in 2022, had set a pre sale uh, for her first tour in five years. Wow. And, you know, we know what happened. They misjudged the level of demand. Um, there were services out, outages or frustrated ticketless fans. It was uh, it was a show, uh, so to speak. And as uh, Glenn Peoples over at Billboard wrote, Ticketmaster is one of the few nonpartisan issues in America <laughs> in 2022. So, so that was a. Uh, that was such a big deal. Yeah. And of course, uh, you can't talk about 2022 without talking about all of the top level touring success. Uh, boy, it was a, an incredible year. We have, I, I myself went to so many different concerts, far more concerts yeah. than I've seen in the, I can't remember as a matter of fact. So, uh, you know, you of course you can't talk about touring without talking about Bad Bunny, the world's hottest no, tour. It became the first ever to average a $10 million gross. Per, per show. show, per oh my show, God. come on, is that and that's good, isn't it, right, Jay? That's that's good money. Uh, yeah, that's ridiculous, is what that is. And then you've got Elton John's Farewell Yellow Brick Road tour, which yeah. uh, is closing in on the record for the highest grossing tour uh, of all time. Unbelievable stuff that happened on yeah. on touring, um, and yeah. and uh, and still going. There's still a lot of great acts out there. So hopefully yeah. more to that, come. That was a big one. Uh, Sync licenses, as as he put it here in the article, sinks on fire. Yeah. You know, talking about how big some of these sync licenses are. And for those who don't know, that's really when you get your music placed in film, TV, games, commercials, uh, products, whatever mm-hmm. that is. And sinks, you know, um, there's no statutory rate for that. They're all negotiated. And so you can make some pretty decent money um, on that. And the obvious one is, you know, Kate Bush running up that hill from Stranger Things, you know, same with Metallica. But there was um, a lot of um, key sinks that really blew up streaming, you know, whether that was, you know, uh, the cramps you know, in that Netflix show, you know, there's, there's just been so many of those. Mm-hmm. Um, that was an, it was a big year for sync. It really was. And don't forget that is when you're talking sync, it's both publishing and masters. So, uh, so a little, uh, a little love for both sectors of the business happens. Uh, also, of course, this year we've talked about it a lot, the ebbs and flows of the catalog market, the red hot catalog market has been the talk of the business for almost half a decade at this point. But over the past year, things started to change in some unexpected ways due to rising interest rates, the dwindling number of truly elite catalogs available, 
and the faltering of some of the sector's most prominent players. But yeah. still, you're talking Sting, Stephen Stills, um, lots of, you know, for the Frank Zappa catalog, a lot of stuff that happened yeah. that were very big purchases. And uh, yeah. it's, that's not going to stop anytime soon. That's right. Um, the next one, the rush towards services. Um, I thought this was really interesting. Um, besides kind of catalog ownership, you know, the opposite direction is towards services. So like independent distribution, you know, has generally been a pretty viable business model and that's gone on for decades, but a lot of them are rushing into quote unquote services, companies like SoundCloud, TikTok, uh, Tencent, uh, Downtown, they've all embraced this shift and realigned, uh, realigned business models, you know, uh, you know, joining these new entrants into the space, you know, that we've been reporting on like United Masters and STEM and Utopia, you know, so uh, keep your eye on services. Um, we're watching the roles and responsibilities of labels and distribution are evolving quickly right now. And I'm watching really innovative distributors, you know, like Symphonic and InGrooves, um, The Orchard, you know, they're doing some really innovative things in the space and really blurring those lines. Yeah, 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 for sure. Um, <clears throat> the next one they talked about here is the onset of crypto winter. <laughs> it said early in the year, Web3 projects exploded in what seemed like every sector of the music business, including all three major labels, along with companies like Spotify and Coachella, Ticketmaster, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But boy, oh boy, the seas proved to be much choppier than many had expected in a series of sell-offs and financial failures, as well as recession and inflation fears brought in what many call the crypto winter with sales and enthusiasm beginning to ebb as the year went on. By the time the second biggest crypto exchange, FTX, spectacularly failed in November, there had been a 70 to 80% cool off in the market to the point where the once ubiquitous format seemed to be ready for another hibernation while the industry tries to figure out how to best take advantage of the newish technology. Yeah. Yeah, that's Well, very... I would recommend that people listen to the New York Times uh, podcast called The Daily. I mm -hmm. listen to it pretty much every weekday. And they did a really great uh, piece, not only on FTX, to kind of explain how that all went down, Um but also that a lot of these things are siloed in a way that if one goes down, it doesn't affect the rest. And then the other part of this, besides just cryptocurrency, which, you know, some people think is a lot of smoke and mirrors. I think the underlying technology is, you know, even with that and the blockchain is something that's going to be around for a, a long time. But whenever you get away where people can get rich quick, they will try to do that. Mm -hmm. And that brings me to NFTs. You know, I think on the digital collectible side, yeah, a lot of those have uh, dwindled in value. Value, and there's a lot less of them coming out, but I see people getting really creative with them, whether they're attaching them to an experience or to physical goods. You know, there's a lot of interesting thing, things going on in the space. There's a company in Seattle called Microgroove that's uh, attaching physical to digital. So I wouldn't write off cryptocurrency and I wouldn't write off, you know, NFTs or Web3 or DAOs or virtual spaces or any of that stuff. But I think it's in its infancy and it, there's some growing pains that uh, go along with that. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. It's uh, but boy, it was uh, to say it was an, an ebb and flow was it was an understatement. Boy, it, it really uh, ebbed a lot here in the second half of the year. Uh, another story talking about BTS break. Rattles the biz and hype stock. Uh, as you know, of course, BTS, huge, huge band out of Korea, been one of the biggest and most formidable acts of any genre in the past several years. Uh, basically, this they just 
decided to kind of take some time off for solo projects and what a blow that was to the group's management company label and their agents. Some of them have to go into the military. military yeah, I think the mandatory military service. I think at least one of them for sure. Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, what a change of, of, uh, of, of kind of momentum, I should say, I, I guess for, for BTS, but you know, that's, that's such an amazing story when you talk about their fan base and, and how they're able to kind of collectively get that fan base to move and do stuff on their behalf. Uh, I don't think that's going to be uh, something that's going to go away anytime soon. Yeah, I agree. And, and the last one we can cover is, uh, despite complications, the business is thriving. Yeah. Um, you know, the touring business has recovered. You know, the U.S. recorded music business saw, you know, on-demand audio streams surpass $1 trillion for the first time ever. And that's a 611% increase from 2015. Wow. You know, uh, that's according to Luminate, of course. Um, despite supply chain issues that continue uh, to bedevil labels and manufacturers, Vinyl sales passed $1 billion in revenue for the first time since the mid-1980s. What could that have been if we could fulfill all those vinyl yeah. orders? Because they're still having capacity issues, turnaround times. And when we talk to experts in the field, they'll tell us that when you have a color variant, which, of course, everybody wants, mm-hmm. you know, you have to break down those machines. And that could be an hour between each run. And it just slows things down. And there's so many people that want to press up vinyl and only so many places that can do it. So uh, that's pretty amazing that it passed a billion dollars, even with all of those issues. Yeah. The last one, of course, is it's still a TikTok world, Jay. Love it, hate it, rue its influence, or spend hours scrolling it. The industry was as obsessed with TikTok in 2022 as it's ever been. And the ByteDance-owned social streaming behemoth has leaned further than ever into the connection into its connections to the music biz for better or worse, depending on whom you ask. And you know what? You're right. And it's going to be a big story all next year as well. And we will oh, stay sure tuned. Because remember, we were just talking about in the last couple of weeks that all of those deals are coming up with the majors. That's right. Uh, from TikTok, and they're re- renegotiating those deals. And that's going to be really interesting um, to see where that lands, because as we were talking about, it's promotion, you know, which is great, but it's also a lot of commerce. So they need to find that uh, balance. Um, The next one is from Billboard, uh, written by our friend Elias Light. Um, The headline, I thought this was really provocative and interesting. Playlists don't hit like they used to. Mm -hmm. The rise of personalization in short form video platforms means that the streaming services marquee editorial collections don't drive as much listening. I've been hearing that. Um, I haven't seen any, you know, empirical data, but I certainly hear people, smart people, Uh, that I know talking about that, you know, as Elias points out, not long ago, a placement in Spotify's rap rap caviar or Apple Music's Today's Top Hits or, you know, something like that could ignite a a single streaming numbers overnight. Today's Top Hits, that's, uh, well, I'm sorry, it's uh, Today's Hits on Apple Music. Today's Top Hits on Spotify has 32 million followers. And that used to be the holy grail, said one manager of several major label recording acts. Quote, or even Pop Rising, 2.7 2.7 million. It was like if a song got on Pop Rising, it's going to get today's top hits and do 5 million streams a week. 
But in 2022, this same manager continues, it doesn't feel like that's the case. This realization is growing around the music industry. The Spotify and Apple editorial playlists don't have as much punch as they did, agrees Kieran Donahue, who's the founder of Humble Angel Records and a former VP of Global Playlist Strategy over at Warner Music. The major streaming platforms are reacting to culture now rather than driving it, which is really Ooh. interesting, says Tatiana yeah. Cristiano, uh, who's an analyst over Cirisano, at Media. yeah. I'm sorry, Cirisano. Um, yeah. Uh, over at Media Research. So that's really interesting and not surprising, I suppose. You know, it's like all, there's only so much oxygen in the room. And, <laughs> you know, right. when, you've, when you've got TikTok, that's going to take up a lot of the wind. Yeah, absolutely. And in a statement to uh, Billboard, uh, Selena Ong, global head of editorial at Spotify, she countered that uh, and said that the platform's top five editorial playlists are followed by more than 80 million listeners. They're wildly popular, she said. You know, the overall audience for playlists is larger now than ever. These listeners have increasingly diverse tastes. Spotify is meeting that consumer demand. And as a result, more artists are being discovered. You know, a rep from uh, Apple Music declined uh, to comment for the story. (laughs) The next paragraph is kind of funny. But managers sound nearly misty-eyed when they reminisce about the streams that some editorial playlists once generated. There used to be a world where an unknown artist would get the cover of the Fresh Finds playlist on Spotify and they would get between 60,000 and 100,000 thousand streams a week says one manager who works primarily with developing acts now you're looking at more like 15 to 20,000 streams a week wow from 60 to 100,000 to 15 to 20,000 that's less right yeah that is less (laughs) very much less Uh, does today's top hits move the needle as much as now as it did four years ago one senior label executive asks no the difference is equally stark, he adds, if you're not near the top of the playlist. So that's pretty And I hear that a lot. If you're not in that like tw- top 12 to top 18, it's a different experience. You know, when you yeah. first turn on a playlist, you're more engaged than you will be. You're working out, you're driving to work, you're cooking dinner, whatever it is you're doing, you're so engaged in those first dozen or so songs. Um, I've even read that the first song is like the most skipped song in a playlist because someone will turn on a playlist and they'll go, no, and then go to the next one. No, maybe not. And then they'll go to the next. Oh, okay. All right. And then they'll, they'll let it go. Um, label executives say that the change in firepower is marquee editorial playlist. And that's caused, you know, partly by increased emphasis on personalization. And if that's the one thing, you know, I think that you should take out of this piece is that, it's not that playlists are necessarily less important than they used to be. It's it's evolving in the behavior and the use and the way that they create these playlists. And you'll you know that a lot of these playlists have switched to kind of personalization, meaning that the the one playlist that I look at, even if it's the same playlist, the, your version that you look at is slightly different because it's based on your listening habits, right? And mm-hmm. and not necessarily mine or or others. Um, interestingly enough, are, there are exceptions. Managers say some of Spotify's editorial playlists in Southeast Asia still have oomph, uh, also Eastern Europe, um, but executives maintain that many of the big name editorial collections are not magnifying songs the way they once did. So, I, you know, it's, it's, I suppose it's not surprising. Um, yeah. But I think a lot of it has to do with that personalization. Um, 
Um, Spotify's Ong noted that listener habits have become increasingly diverse. And I think that's really the key here. She said, so our playlist strategy has expanded to accommodate that. Um, she said that a third of all new artist discoveries, you know, on Spotify are from personalized editorial playlists. Yeah. Personalized. Well, it's still a deal, but it's, it's not the deal that it was perhaps, but it, may go back to the way who knows who knows jay gilbert we just uh, <laughs> we only report on the news we're not going to predict the news but uh we will continue to monitor it and you know what we should do sometime is make our predictions for uh 2023 because i read those from people and they're rarely spot on because who knows i mean sure. a few years ago we never would have dreamed that peloton would be such a big deal or Bad Bunny would just dominate the world or the issues with TikTok or Taylor Swift or whatever it is. Um, I think it'd be fun to kind of put together uh, predictions. But every now and then, you know, I see people that just nail it, you know, and it's it's really interesting. So we'll we'll report on that. Um, The next one is, again, from Billboard, Dan Rice, the changing world of labels, physical retail. I'm sorry, Jay, we're talking about physical retail in 2022, heading into 2023. (laughs) Right. And that's, of course, vinyl and CD. But of course, vinyl is the pretty girl on the block that everybody's talking about. But let's not forget about CDs as well. And merch, you know, the big, you know, 100 percent, 100 percent. I mean, you deal with on a daily basis artists and merch uh, for a lot of people is a gigantic portion of. Oh, my gosh. It's one of those things that we don't probably talk about enough that how big, and I think that's really the bottom line in this article is pay attention to your merch. You know, um, Dan points out that for decades, the physical business, you know, uh, in retail and the music business was relatively straightforward. A band makes an album, they get it pressed to a physical format. That physical album gets sent to stores, band goes on tour, selling t-shirts and at the merch table, right? But the digital revolution in the early 2000s upended the sales status quo, first with digital downloads, then the streaming era, seemingly relegating the physical business uh, of the record labels to the history books, but not so fast. Not so fast. But while that, but while that may have been the prevailing view in the mainstream, in the background, something else was happening. For the past two decades, we've talked about this a ton, vinyl sales have continued to grow year over year, raking in more than a billion dollars in revenue in the U.S. in 2021, according to the RIAA. Mm-hmm. Even more, the once stayed world of music merch has exploded in both popularity and creativity. Artists have embraced the worlds of street streetwear and high fashion, turning themselves into curated brands with the retail strength to match, while each of the three major labels saw their merch-related businesses grow by millions year over year in in their respective latest earnings. That's significant. It is. And it's not just the majors. We're seeing that on the indie side as well, of course, as touring opens back up and, you know, people can hit that merch table. And I've spoken to a few bands that have told me that it's almost a 50-50 split um, for these kind of middle class artists where they're making half their revenue from the ticket sales and half uh, from from merch. You know, uh, in a continuing series looking at how the record labels are changing, Uh, Their merch, physical retail operations are becoming key drivers in supplemental growth as a streaming era approaches its quote unquote teenage years, you know, with new innovations, supply chain frustrations continuing to alter the landscape. 
Um, and we've reported on this before. Billboard's got these really great installments on A&R, radio promotion, marketing, streaming, distribution. Um, but what we're going to just touch on really quickly here are five executives from different parts of the industry weighing in on how the sector is evolving, right? And its importance to the overall business of breaking an artist and building a career. Yeah. Um, and <clears throat> excuse me, I'll let you start that, Jake, as I'm Okay, the first one here, is, is the, the first one um, uh, that they're talking about here. You know, these are these, you know, five executives in five different sectors. First one is the job itself. Uh, Theta Sandiford started uh, working at Def Jam 20 years ago, and uh, she was doing single sales. And while the job certainly changed during the uh, intervening two decades, the philosophy is not, quote, it's still audience development and working songs. On the streaming side, it's still literally the same thing. It's just working it to different playlists and building an audience and audience engagement. Whereas before, we would be marketing it by saying, go to the trans world, go to the mall and buy some music. And the strategy was to lower the price, she said, back then. Now yeah. the strategy is serious audience development. And if you spend any time with me, you'll hear me say that daily. Knowing who the customer is, finding your tribe, right? The record business really transformed from the record store owning the relationship to the customer, uh, you know, having that personal relationship with with the, uh, the customer, the, the artist having that relationship. And I mean, it's really now about access, right? And not so much ownership. And the last thing I'll say on the job is, that doesn't mean that the fundamentals are all that different. And to a large extent, the job has remained the same despite the transition to digital. One of the great lines that she mentioned there, or in that, in that section there, was <clears throat> it says, in fact, many aspects of the digital world actually help inform the physical retail space and have made things much easier and sometimes cheaper, whether from a marketing perspective or from a data collection perspective, helping companies yeah. better identify and target an artist's most diehard fans. Yeah. And, you know, the last one on the job that I, I want to mention on here is from my friend Billy Fields, who I worked with over at Warner Music Group. Great guy, uh, vinyl advocate early on. He said that if you count the way in which retail marketing has changed, now it's on platform on Instagram or TikTok or Facebook. Um, you know, we're trying to reach music fans and connect them to stores and to our music. So in a way, we've sort of grabbed the parts of the digital business that tend to support what we do in the physical world. I thought right. that was really smart. Yeah. And they talk about <clears throat> how it's changing. And, and, yeah. and there was somebody mentioned, it's always been a pretty easy to make a t-shirt and a hoodie, to be honest with you. Now things are more complex. Artists also want to make letterman's jackets and fake fur jackets and all types of headwear and accessories and button-down shirts and custom prints and use all these m new materials. So there is a lot more work to be doing and there are more challenges you know so and of course like everything in fashion it has such a short lifespan you've got to continually be looking at the next thing you're going to be doing the next thing and the next thing and it is pretty stunning how how the world of merch has just blossomed into such a broad category and yeah so important to have new cool things and then more new cool things, and then more. Yeah, new and cool I would things. I would include experiences under merch, things like paid meet and greets, mm -hmm. and you know, there's some artists we've talked about who you know, like the Licorice Quartet, who they will, you know, record on your song for you, or they'll record a song for you, or or whatever that is. 
you know, uh, my, my friend uh, Billy Field said that when Tower Records finally closed its doors, that was sort of the end of all that retail consolidation. And a lot of companies got smaller and teams shrank down. But with the onset of digital or digital first, you know, that business led to a lot of restructuring at the label level. And, and we've seen this firsthand, you know, in terms of who was working on the physical side of things, people's whose job it was to go out and put up, let's say, posters in the marketplace. You know, we don't have that staff anymore. Um, now I have to look at much more creative ways to do it. The street team, sometimes radio. So it's really required everybody at the label to take on some more of that quote unquote retail focus. Yeah, exactly. Um, talking uh, again about vinyl, this article also mentioned significant challenges in the current business. Obviously no, no shock there and the supply chain issues that have frustrated all kinds of industries, nothing new in music, but that can just as often mean multiple windows to sell physical products, digital release day and physical release day. So if you are a, a smart marketeer, take advantage of the of of the supply chain issues and use that as a couple of different pops in the marketplace to get people interested in what who who what band you're marketing and and developing. Yeah. That's a really great point. And just you know, my last comment on this piece is really what they say: what makes for a great retail uh, campaign today. And Ron Lee said, artist development is one of the most important parts. Amen, brother. Mm -hmm. Nothing gives more relevance to a campaign than the artists themselves promoting and wearing the products. Also, products and designs that really speak to the artist's style, interests, and music play a part as opposed to generic merch that's only meant to exploit the artist for revenue. The campaigns that showcase the marriage of the artist's vision to the current trends in retail have been our most successful. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, great article, really worth going oh, and checking yeah. out. And um, again, the changing—you know—we I mean, talk about this a lot. Boy, how <clears throat> how much it's changed since we started in the industry, and the and how hard it is because there's so many different avenues to explore when you're talking about developing and marketing an artist, and you know, just the the depth of opportunities in merch alone, or or vinyl alone, or all of these things—it's head spinning. It really yeah. is. Yeah, absolutely. And the, the last one today um, is from our good friend Glenn Peoples over at Billboard. And I know we talk about this a lot, but it bears repeating that um, he has this um, email that goes out every Friday called The Ledger. It's one of my very favorites. Mm -hmm. And you can get an abbreviated version on that um, on Billboard. But um, if you subscribe to Billboard Pro, then you get the full um, email and there's several other ones that you get from billboard, but this one's my absolute favorite. So this is from the ledger, his, uh, his weekly email. This is from last Friday and the headline is five ways 2022 pushed music royalties forward. Yep. From rising subscription prices to potential, potential <laughs> terrestrial radio payouts for artists and <laughs> labels. The future is looking a little brighter for rights holders. Yeah. Not, not blindingly bright, but a little brighter, right, Jay? <laughs> not blindingly. That's <laughs> funny. Um, if the 2010s uh, were the decade of established streaming, uh, Glenn points out that uh, the de facto way that most people enjoy music, the 2020s will be the decade the platform's royalty rates took a leap forward. And that is such great news. And we follow this very closely, as you probably know. For much of streaming services existence, the industry has tried to gently balance the need to foster growth with the need to generate something close to subsistence level income for creators and rights holders. If rights holders squeeze too tight, 
they could strangle the life out of the companies they depend on to carry them in a post-CD, post-download world. Too loose of a grasp on streaming platforms would mean the spoils of technology disruption would remain with the tech companies. The process requires patience. Patience. I hate patience, Jay. Come on. I don't have uh, time for it. I don't have time for patience. Exactly. Uh, as Glenn says, this year there were numerous developments to point that point to better royalty rates in 2023 and beyond. They have different degrees of certainty, however. Higher subscription prices are sure to move the needle and result in higher payouts to artists and labels. Whether artists and labels will finally get paid for terrestrial radio play in 2023 is less yeah. certain. Less certain. Although Glenn nice. says the mood in Washington, D.C. seems favorable. And with the authors of uh, uh, Choke Point Capitalism, Corey Dock. Haven't read and, that yet, but I no, have it. Yep, you have it. And Rebecca Giblin, uh, currently making the media rounds and the Federal Trade Commission um, cracking down on companies that take advantage of gig workers. The plight of creators in today's digital economy is getting mainstream attention. And as he says, my colleague Rob Levine brought attention to tech companies' value destruction in his book, uh, Free Ride, um, a decade ago. Yeah. So it, it yeah. feels like, you know, we're heading in the right direction. Whether we're going to get there altogether is, is not quite sure. I'm yet. optimistic. Look at how much too. progress we've made. You yes. know, um, we've, we're talking now about how performers in the U.S. don't get paid for radio airplay, which is absolutely absurd. But the other thing that Glenn has kind of schooled me on is music subscription price increases, right? Yeah. Artists have wanted a raise from streaming services for years. Part of the problem is how royalties are calculated. You know, he points out, and we talk about this all the time, the pro rata versus fan-powered uh, royalties. A, a pool of money is basically split according to the number of times the tracks are played. That puts album-oriented artists in, at a mathematical disadvantage to mainstream artists in popular genres like pop and hip-hop. Another common complaint is that streaming services have barely raised their subscription prices for more than a decade. And think of that, you know, more Stunning. than a decade, they might have had... 10 million, uh, 15 million tracks. Now they have 70 million tracks and the cost is exactly the same and not even adjusted for inflation. So finally, this year, Amazon, Deezer, YouTube Premium, which includes YouTube Music, and Apple Music all announced broad price increases to individual and family plans. Spotify has hinted it will follow with price hikes of its own in 2023. And that financial impact you know, could be massive, a, a modest increase of just a dollar a month for individual plans and $2 per month for family plans in mature market, markets, it's easy for you to say, less in developing markets with lower prices, that would easily generate hundreds of millions of incremental subscription dollars. Yeah, 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 yeah. So super, super important. And we talked a lot about this, you know, boy, the, the uh, television and, and video services do not they're not shy about raising rates at all, in the least. And uh, it looks like finally we're seeing some movement on this on the music side. Yeah, it feels like but, it. Yeah, exactly. And of course, you can't talk about uh, this coming year without <laughs> talking about a TikTok potential subscription service. Uh, and it, of course, it doesn't pay much in royalties, but it plays an outsized role in cultural trends. One billion active users and especially popular with Gen Z consumers. And we've talked about it uh, for sure that they actually already have their, their Reso service uh, in, yeah. in Indonesia, Brazil, and India. But they're talking about moving that outwards, and we're going to see where that's going. But it, for sure it's going to happen. I mean, it's not for sure, but boy, it sure yeah. looks like it's for sure. Yeah, yeah. And then kind of the, the last thing on here, just to, you know, because we could talk about 
you know, Glenn's analysis all the time. I just highly uh, advise everybody, encourage you to subscribe to Billboard Pro. It's, it's so good. And then you get his uh, newsletter every Friday um, in your mailbox. And the last thing, inflation adjustments to non-interactive streaming rates. You know, non-interactive, you know, we talk about that with SiriusXM or some Pandora and things like that. Each year, rates paid by non-interactive streaming in the U.S. adjusted to account for inflation over the previous year. In 2023, artists and labels will get a raise due to inflation rates that reached a 40-year high in 2022, right? The rates increased 7.1% for subscription plays, 9.1% for ad-supported plays. And I think that's really important because in past years, non-interactive streaming services like Pandora were a more significant part of an artist and label's uh, revenue. Not so much anymore. That, you know, that gave extra weight to the decisions of the Copyright Royalty Board and changes in the per-play streaming rates. Now, on-demand services like Spotify and YouTube dominate that, that whole landscape, right? So, you know, when you're talking about SiriusXM, Pandora, you know, whether it's ad-supported, some of these things, they, they fell 5% year over year in the third quarter of 2022. You know, and paid out, it's not nothing, but $921 million in royalties for the first nine months of the year. Above all, a raise is a raise. Yes. But, uh, you know, this ends on terrestrial royalty rates, radio rates, and uh, legislation. Oh yeah, I'm, we, we can only hope and pray that this will go through legislation that would pay artists and labels for airplay on U.S. terrestrial radio was passed by the House Judiciary Committee on Wednesday, the 7th of December. With only a month left in the current Congress, Representative Jim Jordan, who's the ranking member of the House Judiciary Committee, said he's confident the Hill could make it through the ne- the bill. I'm sorry, could make it through the next Congress. That would be the 20 in that could be in 2023 or 2024. While this isn't the first legislation to address the lack of a performance right, the AMFA arrives at a time when lawmakers in D.C. and elsewhere have taken an interest in creators' ability to make a living in the streaming age, which is wonderful to hear and read. So um, passage of an AMFA-like law or a settlement with radio broadcasters would be a huge coup for artists and labels who get only promotion from radio airplay while radio stations are obligated to pay songwriters and publishers only. Um, yeah, you know, and we've talked about that this is, we are we are an anomaly amongst the, the major countries in the world that don't that's pay, right. pay for the performance. The yeah, it's just... Un- and that's, you know, North Korea, Russia, China, you know, we're not in very good company when it comes to that. But it also feels a little bit like TikTok, um, in that the argument is it's such a promotional tool. And that was the original argument for terrestrial radio mm-hmm. for performers is like, look, we're, you know, we're paying the publishing on this thing, but for performers, you know, this is such a, a promotional tool for you. Yeah. But you're also making a lot of revenue there. And we covered a story a while back where they're not asking uh, a station to pay a majority of their revenue. And some of these indie stations, it was like $500 annually. It's not going to put them out of business. No, absolutely not. And it's, it's high time to make those changes. So I have my fingers and toes crossed that that's going to happen sooner rather than later. And on that note, Jay, we're going to wrap up the uh, the holiday edition of the Your Morning Coffee podcast. We do want to thank our sponsors, <laughs> the Music Business Association, Bandzoogle, Hypebot, and Bands in Town. And uh, we certainly appreciate everyone listening in. Jay and I do yeah. not take that for granted. If you enjoy the show, please tell one friend. 
Jay and I would certainly appreciate it. And as I've, uh, I will continue to make the offer. If you do do that, Jay will come over to your house and wash your car with the armor roll. For sure, yeah. the armor roll as well. Yeah, got to get the armor roll in the tires. Yes, absolutely. So, uh, yeah. so Jay, on that note, what do you say? We wish everyone happy holidays. And happy thank- holidays, everyone. Yeah, that's right. Thanks for listening. And Jay and I will be yeah. back next week on the Your Morning Coffee Podcast. You've been listening to Your Morning Coffee, the weekly music news program for the new music business. Join Jay Gilbert and Mike Etchard next time for the digital music news you need to know.